Does the song Blue Skies and Rainbows ever pop into your head? I am so glad to hear that. I'm sure that song edifies certain people. A little too campy for me. A little too campy. I just start thinking, blue skies and rainbows, unicorns prancing across a field. I mean, it's just like too much. Too much sugar in that one. Need a little reality. <laughs> Last week we started uh, in the book of Ruth, and I originally debated we were batting this around in the office, maybe doing just one week on Ruth, and I thought, no, nah, this, this story is really, I think there's a, I think there's, I don't know if there's a lot going on, but there's a lot to say about this, so we're going to do a lot of reading here in a few minutes, and basically just read chapter uh, two tonight, but, but as we were, saw last week, the book starts out placing this in the time of the judges, right there at the beginning, in the time of the judges, so pointing us to the zeitgeist of the age, which we studied the judges for months, and, and we saw those weren't great times for Israel. Really, any metric you would want to use, and I won't list, I mean, just not, not good times. Um, not a spiritual mountaintop for Israel during those times. Um, brutality, immorality, idolatry, according to the final verse of the book of Judges, a time when people did as they saw fit. Everybody called their own shots, made up their own rules to, to ethics, to morality. And yet, in the book of Judges, we finished the series, we saw God do some pretty amazing things. I mean, we read the story of Gideon, of Samson, of Deborah, people like this, and there were just moments of unquestioned, direct, divine intervention. Um, and so these books really, I think, contrast with each other because... Judges is about God performing astounding works through not-so-great people. This is a book about God just working behind the scenes. Like we said, not really any miracles to speak of in the book of Ruth, but doing this work through some really great people, through some really impressive individuals. And so it opens with Naomi leaving home with her husband Elimelech, leaving Judea, leaving the village of Bethlehem, which we said means house of bread. And they left because there was a famine. Um, they tried to scrape by an existence because this was God's land. This was their promise direct from God. And I kind of called Elimelech out on this a little bit. I, I man. I know God gave you this, and you're going to go to Moab. You're going to go to this foreign country. That's what he did. Uh, maybe that was the right move. Maybe not. But things did not go well. It was not a decision that was blessed. As Naomi, Elimelech, their two sons, get to Moab, it is tragedy. I'm truly tragedy after tragedy. Elimelech grows ill, passes away. Naomi's now a widow. At least she's got her two sons. But then one of them gets sick, dies. The other gets sick, dies. She is left alone now with two Moabite, two foreign daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. She decides, and a lot of time is passing here. This isn't like two weeks. This is years are passing. She decides her best chance for survival is to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to, to her people and try to find a life there. She's heard that uh, the rain has come, 
the barley harvest is returning. And so she pleads with these two young ladies, her two daughters-in-laws, tears and kisses and hugs, and she's pleading with them to go back. Go to Moab. Go to Mo- Don't come with me. I'm an old woman. There's no future. This is a foreign country. This is a different language, different culture. Go back to your people. You're young. Find husbands and have children and have grandchildren and, and have a life, essentially, she tells them. And Orpah, lots of tears, emotion. Orpah says goodbye. They part ways. But Ruth will not turn loose of her mother-in-law. She declares in that passage in, in Ruth 1 that's actually shared in weddings sometimes, I'll go with you wherever you go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my people. Where you die, I will be buried there too. In powerful words of commitment, of friendship, more than mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. This is, this is a deep spiritual connection, a friendship that these two women have. And so they go to Judea. They arrive in Bethlehem. Everybody is excited to see Naomi again and, and meet her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so this journey uh, continues on a literal level. They, they travel together, but deeper. They're, they're doing the life journey together. And so before we get back into the story, in chapter 2 tonight, the barley harvest is once again returned to Judea. Um, spring is kind of blooming in the story and everything. Before we get back to that, um, let's just talk a little bit about friendship. I think it's good to kind of stop and look at these two women and just kind of pull out, what does this look like to have a deep friendship? And the first thing would be kind of the most obvious one would be companionship. I mean, if you have a friend, you will spend time together, do things together, make plans together, maybe travel together, um, but in a deeper sense, journey together through whatever life throws at you. And so Ruth and Naomi, they move from one nation to another nation together. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, they experience famine and hardship together. They mourn the loss of some people dear to them together. Uh, And they celebrate new hope as we roll into chapter 2 tonight. They celebrate new hope together. Um, And so there is this persistent companionship that's part of a good friendship. uh, And it's this durability that you have. Um, and typically, we imagine friends having either, uh, generally, you know, typically they're kind of in the same age range. Typically, we think they have common interests. And I don't know that either of these things, well, I, they, were, they were not at the same age range. Ruth and Naomi were very different ages. Ruth is young. Naomi is older. Uh, I don't know if they had different, uh, like, common things that they enjoyed doing. But they were not women you would expect to find as friends, Okay different backgrounds, different nationalities. I imagine Ruth spoke with a little accent when she was learning her Hebrew and everything. And, and throughout the story, they're together because there's something more going on than just, ah, oh, we like to do this together or do that together. Uh, the other thing beyond companionship, going a little deeper, would be authenticity, which is probably a word that's over, well, it is a word that's overused, but it fits here. I mean, it fits, authenticity. And, and, and what we're saying is... Um, well, you don't need to be open and vulnerable with everybody in your life. In fact, you, you should be open and vulnerable with everybody, but there needs to be somebody, a person that God puts in your life, or two, maybe 
three that you can do that with, uh, where you can be your true self, where you don't have to maintain an image, impress them all of the time. Um, and and is, it is a blessing to have one of these people. More than that, you... That's an embarrassment of riches. Um, So a deep friendship like Naomi and Ruth's, um, you can be yourself. You're not impressing. You're not wasting energy to pretend that you are someone else. And Naomi, you see that beginning to end in the story. Naomi and Ruth are very honest with each other. I mean, Naomi is a truth teller with Ruth. I'm too old. Uh, don't come with me. I mean, the, the, your, your life is not with me. You're a young woman. Uh, you, uh, I'm never going to get married. I'm not going to have sons that you could marry someday, Ruth. I mean, who are we kidding here? Um, she shares uh, with Ruth, uh, you know, in chapter 1, she says, God has made my life bitter. I mean, she's being very honest with Ruth. She, she shares, God has brought misfortune on me. And Naomi just constantly is opening up her heart with Ruth. And Ruth to Naomi, um, telling each other the truth about how they see things, about how they feel, right or wrong, they're sharing. And we need that. We need people like that in our lives who we can be open, we can be transparent, we can just be honest with. Um, the, the, the next one, I w- I'm, I'm going to call this reciprocity, which is a fancy word, but it just means a real deep friendship has to go both ways. It, it can't be a one-sided affair. I mean, you can have great relationships that are one-sided, kind of with your two-year-old grandchildren or whatever. That's great, but a friendship, a deep friendship has reciprocity mutuality. Um, I mean, there are uh, unequal relationships that we have at work or acquaintances or family relationships or things like that where one person gives more than the other. One person is always making that phone call. One person is always remembering the birthday and sending the card. One person is, is the one who's always texting to ask how you are. One person's always picking up the bill at the restaurant or whatever. And the other person is, is a little less involved. One is always the one asking, hey, let's go out to coffee. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I would suggest that's not the kind of deep friendship these two ladies shared. Um, Naomi is older and wiser. She has a lot more experience, but she decides to do life with Ruth, to do it together with Ruth. Uh, She speaks into Ruth's life. Ruth speaks into her life. Um, She is not Ruth's therapist she is not Ruth's mentor, although she gives a lot of good advice to Ruth. She's her friend. Um, and so they each give and they each receive. And in a deep friendship, that's the way it should be. Um, sometimes your tank is empty and you need your friend to come along and pour in and pour in and lift you up and build you up and other times in the ebb and flow of life that switches around you're there for the other person um, you've probably heard how you know a, a flock of birds when they're flying a great distance they take turns at the point because it takes more work to be in the point and there's no nobody to draft behind um, and so one of them will run point and then 20 minutes later move back to the back where they can kind of draft and in, in friendship that's the way it works sometimes you're the strong one sometimes you need for them to be the strong one acceptance in a life giving friendship you are free to share your feelings your opinions um, your truths with each other without fear 
without fear. I mean, you're going to be honest. You can debate things. You can talk back and forth. But you're not afraid of, of losing the friend there because you can be honest. And you know that. And Ruth and Naomi, they are honest with each other when they're struggling. They're honest with each other uh, when, they're, when they aren't at their best, when they aren't at their strongest. Uh, Ruth has heard Naomi complain, has heard Naomi change her name from sweet Naomi to, to bitter, to Mara. Um, she's heard Naomi be, uh, be unhappy and talk about that, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, and so is there somebody that you have that you can share with and not be jumped on, that you can talk about your hurts, that you can talk about betrayals, you can talk about your weaknesses, that you can share the unflattering stuff, and they're still going to be there for you. They're still going to take your calls, still going to answer your text. Um, acceptance, that's a foundation for a deep Christian friendship. And then faithfulness, I mean, we've got to get to this, because a common denominator in this story is, is, is they have faith in God. Both of them have faith in God. Um, and that's obviously, if you're looking for a godly friend, it's a person of faith, and a person who will listen, who will support, yes, and who will have intentionality, trying to, trying to shape and steer you into the image of Christ. And you know you're going to do that for them, and they're going to do that for you because you want what's best. You want more Jesus for that person. And so they're pouring into your life spiritually. If they're draining you, by the way, if they're draining you spiritually, if, if you're around this person and you always feel like your, your faith gets a little weaker when you spend a lot of time together, not a godly friend. Maybe a friend, maybe someone you need to spend, but not a godly friend, right? Um, Ruth grew up pagan, grew up in Moab, um, and Moabites worshipped all sorts of false gods. But her friendship with Naomi transformed into this deeper friendship when, when Ruth said, I'm going to worship your God. I'm going to follow your God. I want to get to know Yahweh. And so you have this proclamation, your God will be my God. So now back to the story. Um, Naomi and Ruth, they get back to Bethlehem. And this phrase at the end of, at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, about there was barley in the fields again, it suggests that the tide has turned, the famine has passed. And, and I think at a deeper level, the, the life famine has passed. And the story for Naomi and Ruth is about to turn. So, things are getting back to normal around Judea. Grain is sprouting up in the fields. Chapter 2, we'll start in verse 2. One day Ruth, the Moabite... And I love how the Bible constantly reminds us she's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. This is going to be important later on. Uh, One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvester. So imagine the harvesters moving as a team through the field, and she is straggling behind. There might have been some other stragglers as well. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. 
While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his far, uh, foreman, Who, who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? The foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who has come back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvester. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes' rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. Probably an age difference in this relationship if you pay attention to the text. Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't, don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman, the young women rather, working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm, I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So he knows a little bit of the backstory here. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, Reward you fully for what you have done. I like this guy. Don't you like this guy? I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of yours. I'm not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here. Help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. This is the Sunday of leftovers, I think. We had leftovers this morning in John chapter 2. We had leftovers here too. When Ruth went back home to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. So now she's moving up where the harvesters are working. She's getting a kind of a, a battlefield promotion here. Um, and pull some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. Where'd you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to you as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives one of our family redeemers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed so I can just keep going back and filling up my basket with grain. Good Naomi explained, do as he said, my daughter, stay, uh, with, stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields, gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. 
Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So here they are in Bethlehem. Neither of them have husbands. Importantly for Naomi, she has no heir. Um, There is no one to carry on Elimelech's family name. There is no one to possess the land that should be theirs. But at least she is back home. And so there is hope again in the story. Um, Ruth heads into the local barley fields to glean, to gather the leftovers that the harvesters kind of leave behind. They weren't picking everything totally clean. Um, There was some waste. There was some surplus. And in this story, uh, Boaz is going to make sure there's a little intentional surplus, a little extra that's left behind his harvesters. And more than this, I just want to point out, this is not a big point to make tonight, but I, I would just say God has always had a heart for the poor. Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, God actually built into the law of Moses this idea of gleaning, of allowing the destitute to come and take a little bit from your field. You know, don't, don't harvest everything because there are some poor people that could use some of that wheat, some of that barley, some of those grapes. And, and so God has built that into the law that the poor will have a way, kind of a, I don't know, social program or something built in there where they're, where they're going to be taken care of. And so Ruth ends up doing this in this field owned by this man, Boaz. Um, he's got fields. He's got harvesters. He's got other servants around. He's loaded. Okay? He, is, he is a wealthy man in the town of Bethlehem. So Ruth kind of trails behind and picks up uh, what the, the bits and pieces that are left behind and Boaz is taking notice, who is this lady, uh, this young woman, and, and he's told by his foreman, she's a foreign girl, she's a Moabite woman, living with Naomi. And then he goes and he talks to her, and, and he promises her protection. This is a chauvinistic age. I mean, this was not necessarily the safest place for a young uh, single woman to be. And he assures her, you will be safe here on my property. You are welcome here. In fact, uh, drink from my workers' water supply. You're going to get to eat some of the food that I provide for my workers. Um, And Ruth thanks him, and things are beginning to blossom in, in, in a lot of different ways in the story. Now, Boaz offers her food. He's got a seat at his table for that would normally be reserved for one of his paid employees. Beggars weren't treated like this, right? The destitute were allowed to gather some grain. They were not treated like, they were not given a seat at the table like this. They were not treated like, like part of the family, like part of the staff. I mean, Boaz is instructing, you know, leave extra for her. We want to make sure that she has plenty. Um, and when she gets home at the end of the day, we find, no, right, Naomi was impressed by his kindness, uh, by the grain that she was able to gather. Um, she is impressed at how well her daughter-in-law, a foreigner, is being treated. Um, where did you work today? Who treated you so well? She mentions Boaz's name, and you can see the wheels beginning to turn. Naomi calls it, he's, he's a kinsman redeemer, he's one of our closest relatives. In other words, when you lose a husband, 
And they're, I mean, a kinsman redeemer is the one who would normally marry that widow. So there's a, a connection here. Boaz is not just some guy. If they were to marry Boaz and Ruth, their son would become this heir that Naomi has always wanted for her land, for her possession. Naomi at this point, look, she doesn't tell Naomi, I mean, she doesn't tell Ruth at this point, go back there, put the moves on Boaz, turn the magic on this guy. I mean, she's going to talk about what Ruth needs to do later in chapter 3, but she's not doing that here. She just encourages Ruth to keep going back. Keep going back. There's something happening here. Um, no need to go to other fields. No, no need to try to grab extra grains. Just keep going back. Keep making contact with Boaz. And I don't think she's getting sneaky here at all. I don't think she's trying to work under the table to hook these two up or anything like that. Um, she would love, yes. She would love for that to happen. I think it is more accurate to say Naomi perceives that God is at work. Naomi is a spiritual woman, a wise woman. She can tell God is up to something. So let's not leave. Let's not go over here. Let's stay right here where we see God at work. Um, She has this gift, I think, of, of seeing, and some people have this, of seeing God at work in the mundane details of life. That's a good person to have around, someone that can look at your life and help you take notice of that. And that's where I want to just kind of finish tonight. I just... I think the prayer tonight is asking the the Spirit to show us in our world, in our life, right now, where He is at work. Where are you at work in my marriage? Where are you at work at the office? Where are you at work at school? Where are you at work at my neighborhood? Let me, like Naomi, let me see where you're at work, and let me keep going into that. Let me keep stepping into that. Let's finish out tonight with a, with a song. Um, you ready to go?